0: Heavenly Father, prepare us for your word today. And this is just applicable stuff, God, and it can be sometimes hard to hear it. But Lord, I pray that we would be people that are transformed by your word. And uh, yeah, help us to hear it this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it was tough going to the best high school in Madison, Madison West High School. Growing up, it was it was tough. You know, um, we had multiple National Merit Scholars every year. Uh, we won the state championship in basketball multiple years. We had an amazing theater and arts program. And I felt for the kids that went to the other high schools in Madison. You know, the ones that went to Madison East, you know, the, the rough part of town kind of group, I felt for, for them, you know, on the east side. And then for the people on the way west side at Memorial High School, um, the preppy school in town, you know, you know they, didn't, they weren't as cool as we were. And, you know, I thought about that. Um, not everyone could go to a school so close to the university, um, be populated by a lot of university parents, kids. I mean, this was the high school of town. And sure, East High School sometimes beat us in sports. They beat us in sports most all the time, but uh, they didn't care about academics like we did, right? Madison Memorial, they might have exceeded us academically in some areas, but it's because they were just a suburban school of people just running away from Madison urban life. Let's face it. Madison West is the best high school in Madison, Wisconsin. And everyone that is not part of that school had problems. Where's John Kirkpatrick? John's of Madison West, right? Yeah, go West, go Regents. That's right. Here we go. Oh, silly high school judgments, right? It's so good that we grow out of that, right? That we don't make critical judgments on people without facts, or really knowing people and who they really are. It's so good that when we see posts on Facebook, we don't say things in our hearts like, man, I always knew that person was crazy. Or when we see a child misbehaving at church, or maybe um, at the grocery store, we say, man, that is a bad parent. Or whether you hear someone's sermon And you say, man, it sounds like he might have been watching too much basketball this week. (laughs) Whether silly or not, we are an evaluating people. What is the right way to evaluate and relate to people? If you're going to write something down, here it is. This is the idea that I want to try to convey to you. and The scripture is going to convey to you this morning. Those who live under Christ's kingdom relate to people not with a critical spirit, but by hearts transformed by grace. Those who live under Christ's kingdom relate to people not with a critical spirit, but by hearts transformed by grace. Let's look at the word, shall we? Let's see what that says. And let us judge that message based on that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Well, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's been labeled the greatest sermon that's ever been told. And it's here is Jesus with his followers on the hillside by the Sea of Galilee. And he is teaching them what it means to live under his kingdom, his reign. What does that kingdom look like? What does it look like to live under the ethics of that kingdom. And for the past five weeks, we've looked specifically at the ethics of the kingdom. What does it mean to have love for enemy? How do we deal with anger? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to tell the truth? And this is a surpassing righteousness that Christ is telling us. I'm not just going out for the outward action. I'm going after the heart. Well, if you've been sitting in this lesson, think about being the followers of Jesus, or maybe you've been sitting here and listening to these ethics, you think, man, this is a serious seminar. Imagine if you were close to Jesus, you think, man, I'm sitting under a guy that is teaching with authority. He heals people. He has many people following him. This is good stuff. <laughs> you must be thinking, okay, okay, all this good information, I should start writing it down. I should be taking notes. I should be realizing this is the way that this world is going to be ruled, and I get to hear it firsthand from Christ. You can imagine you might feel like I'm getting in good information here that I am locked and loaded and ready to go out to other people and tell them how to live. I kind of call this um, good conference haze, I guess, or like um, I learned everything from the conference so I know everything now kind of thing. It's kind of like when your workplace sends you to a conference and you get all this new ideas from all these different places and how to run the the company or how you should be dealing with employees or whatever it might be. And you have gathered all this information from this conference and how everyone is doing it right. And you will now come back home to your business place. Or maybe it's a marriage conference. Come back to your marriage Or to your kids, and you are now going to tell everyone how you have arrived, and they have not. You are going to tell them, I have figured it out, and I can now see the way that you have not figured it out. I am now going to make an evaluation on you because I have sat under this amazing conference. See, here Jesus is done now. He's going into a new section on the Sermon on the Mount. He's covered all the ethics stuff. And now you think Jesus is going to tell us, now that we're locked and loaded with all the ways that people are supposed to live, now go out and start just mowing them down with your truth. Right? Right? But that's not what Jesus does after he gets done with all his ethics. What does he say off the bat? Judge not that you be not judged. You think, I think Jesus is trying to say this. If your first reaction after hearing my ethics is how everyone else has got it wrong, you've missed the whole point. You have totally missed it. Well, before I kind of go into what we've missed, I think I have to cover these first two verses because I think these first two verses have become, in the 21st century, the most popular verses for, for America. America. Um, I think move over John 3.16. The verse that people probably know and quote the most are probably these ones. Verses 1, and if they're really good, verse 2 in chapter 7. And the problem with this is, I think sometimes the interpretation of these verses is this. Because Jesus says, judge not, That you be not judged, that then therefore means no one is qualified to comment on whether another person's actions are right or wrong, even if that behavior is condemned in Scripture. So, the most popular verse, probably in the 21st century in the Western world, is probably the most misunderstood verse. in the Western world? Is Jesus really saying no one is qualified to comment on whether another person's actions are right or wrong? Well, it it kind of, I'm going to kind of do a little Bible study here. It kind of gets to the question, how do we interpret Scripture? How do we get the right interpretation from it? My college professor used to say to us, he used to say, you know, this is the thing about the Bible. It can be interpreted so many different ways, there really is no interpretation of it. It's kind of the subjective view of the Bible. I've heard this many times. Maybe you have that view yourself. Maybe you have friends that have that view. Because there's so many different interpretations, there is no interpretation. I wonder if that's our same view when it comes to laws and signs. When I come to a stop sign, I'm going to interpret whether this means stop or not. And you go through it. And the officer says, why did you go through the stop sign? You say, well, I interpreted it as not really stop. Or you see someone has a sign, no trespassing. Beware of dog. Okay, I decided to interpret that as it's okay for me to walk on your property. The Bible simply isn't subjective. It is saying things to us. And that is the question, does this say to us, you can't make any judgment on another person's actions? Well, the way to find that out is one, to look within the verse itself, into the language, and then second, to look within its context. So let's first look into the verse itself. The word judged here used in the Greek has a large semantic range. And usually when we're in the Western world, it really has a very small range of its meaning. Most of us, when we see the word judge, it means don't condemn my actions, especially when you put judge not. But judge here in the Greek has an idea of evaluation or discernment. And here it's used negatively. Here it says, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So specifically, it's saying, you should not judge without understanding of where you stand, of where you are at. I think probably the best interpretation of the judge not is probably, do not judge unfairly. The point isn't that all evaluations of others in situations should be avoided, but rather the disciples must evaluate and discern properly and fairly. And if you say, well, it seems like you're making a major interpretation here, well, let's just look within the own section of this passage. Look at verse 6. It's, it's kind of comical that Jesus goes from do not judge to calling people pigs and dogs, right? That's a judgment statement, is it not? So even within this own section, Jesus is asking us not to give to dogs and pigs, and he's evaluating that as people. And then if you go a little bit further out to the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 15, he asks us to analyze whether people are false prophets. And then if you go further out into the book of Matthew, in Matthew 18, he tells us how we are actually supposed to confront people individually and then bringing someone along and then the elders or the leaders of the church. And then if we look at the New Testament as a whole in 1 John or John chapter 7, we see constantly Jesus talking about us making right judgments upon others. You see, it's important whenever you look at Scripture, whenever even your favorite verse, don't just pluck it out. You have to look in context of what it means. Here within its own section, within the Sermon on the Mount, within the book of Matthew, within the New Testament, within the Bible, we need to look at this verse. It's not simply saying we can't judge any, we can't make any judgments on any person's actions. So what is he actually saying then? He's saying, he's warning the disciples, after you've heard all of what I've said about ethics, that does not then give you the right to bring the hammer out and start judging other people. My hope, just for us in going through the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been saying in your mind, I wish so and so was here during this message. Um, I think you might have missed the point of the Sermon on the Mount. You might be falling into the judgment category. Here are some good questions you might need to ask yourself. Am I living in this critical spirit kind of way? Who have I been critical of this week? In my criticisms of other people, have I just looked at their faults And hid my own. Maybe you should ask a question to God in your prayer. God, judge me as I judge my fellow men and women. Would you pray that to God? Is that a prayer that you would be willing to to give to the Lord? I think maybe the motives for looking for faults in others is to justify ourselves and escape our own sins. See, having a critical spirit, it removes us from actually relating to others. (laughs) We stand at a distance. Rather than really finding out the issue that they're dealing with, we can just stand over them in judgment rather than actually relating to them. Let's talk about what it means to start doing that work upon ourselves. Look, verse 3 and 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrites! What a, I mean, Jesus is funny. Okay, this is a funny picture. If you've ever had a contact out of place, or like me in this time of season, you have pollen in your eye. It's a nightmare, right? I I can't see straight. It's all foggy. You know, it is debilitating when you get something in your eye, and then in your attempt to try to get it out, here comes someone to help you. And the person that is coming to help you has a two-by-four in their eye. And as bad as the situation is for you, the pollen in the eye, the contact, you're looking at this person with a two-by-four saying, let me help you. And you're going, whoa, bro. First of all, you've got bigger issues And second, I don't want that two-by-four even near me trying to help out because you're going to be swinging that thing and hitting me. See, that's what happens, these guys. They've downloaded all this information on the Sermon on the Mount, and then now they say, okay, I'm ready to point out all the other problems in other people rather than doing the major work on themselves. I find it just hilarious that we think we know someone else's heart better than we know our own. Do we actually, can we read other people's thoughts? I mean, here's the thing in terms of Jesus is trying to analyze. He's saying, I want to know not just your outward actions, what's going on in your heart? Your anger towards other people the lust. I want to know what's going in your thinking about, in your mind, in all these things. He's doing this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and then you're starting to realize, as you know your own heart, because no one else knows it better than you, other than God himself who created you, and you start doing that work upon yourself, you realize, I have a two-by-four in my eye. See, discerning the state of another without first examining one's own heart is a dangerous and deadly business. Precisely because it's a kind of doubleness. It's what Jesus says, hypocrisy. That you know better what someone else needs than your own heart. And I find it, it's just kind of amazing actually, verse 5, that Jesus is actually saying, you hypocrite. When he uses hypocrite throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's usually referring to the Pharisees and those that do wrong things. But now he's talking to his followers, his disciples. He's saying, you are have doubleness. Do you really want to help the other person take the thing out of their eye? Or you just want to point out their faults so you can build up yourself? Here's the thing about judging. It makes us blind. Blind to our own problems. And also blind to the grace that we need as much as others do. I don't even know this but log removal is a painful process. Have you ever been, like, have you ever had an accident? You know, I remember being on a ladder and falling off or maybe, you know, a car accident or maybe, you know, something, a big accident and you, you don't really want to look at the wound. But then you look at it and then you evaluate and it's just kind of that, thing. man, I, this is bad. This is not good. that is what the sermon on the mount should do to us this is uh this is not good this is bad i have a 2 by 4 in my eye and it's going to take major work to heal me hey, This is the good news of the gospel, people. (laughs) That there was one that was nailed upon timbers for us to get that two by four out. There was one that went to the cross to do the major surgery upon us that no one else can do. The precision surgery upon our hearts that no one else can do that work internally in our souls other than him. And he took Those timbers and was nailed upon them for us. See, if you get that, if you start to understand the grace that you have needed, the wound that is so great, if you start to realize that in you, instead of being critical of other people, we weep for ourselves and we weep for them for how bad the situation is. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be under his kingdom? Does it, is it means this, that we, our lives are exclusively in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We are different, not because of the things that we do or the things that, um, how great we are at analyzing other people, we are different ultimately because our union with Christ. That's what makes us a new person. You see, that radically changes how you view others. Rather than being unfairly critical to others, pointing to their fault, you say, without the grace of God, I would also be there. I would be in that same place. And now that I walk in this grace, it allows me to walk delicately with other people around me. It's funny when people quote Matthew 7 verse 1, they don't go on to verse 5. First, take the log out of your own eye And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, there is a process of going and removing the speck from your brother's eye. After you realize that grace and you're taking the log out of your own eye. It simply doesn't say we shouldn't help others. No, once we start doing that surgery and let God do that surgery upon us, then we can start helping others. My dad was an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, I didn't realize until I went to the operating room with him how harsh orthopedic surgeons are. <laughs> you don't want to know, you know what they do to you when you're under. Okay, just say they. I mean, they're harsh upon your bones to set it in place. Take strength. But the eye is different. This is a sensitive part of your body. And if you're going to take a splinter out of someone's eye, it's not aggressiveness time. It's being very, very delicate. We don't come with tweezers, you know? We don't come with our big mugs, like, let me dig in there. So we don't come out of our self righteousness. We don't come out trying to tearing them down. We're there to try to generally love them, and help get this out. And think how much greater the soul is than the eye. How much more delicate that is. Too often. Too often in the church, we have confronted people in the guise of trying to help, but all it's been is our self-righteousness coming to others. Aaron's grandfather was my mentor in high school. He saw a punk kid, that lived down the block. And he said, why don't we meet every week? He was the former president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. That didn't really mean a lot to me at that time. But he would pray with me every week. And he gave me this little book he wrote. It's... it's One I refer to over and over again. Criticism. Giving it and taking it. And it's been very helpful for me. And he gives some really good advice in how you go and confront someone in doing that kind of delicate work. So I'm going to give you five practical things that he says in this little book. One is to pray. And in that prayer, you might want to be asking God to search your heart to say, why am I expressing this criticism towards this person? Has my ego been hurt so that I want to embarrass someone else? Or is my concern truly to help this person or this group? It's a good prayer to pray. Two Go directly and privately. And that's not profound. That's Matthew 18, right? But we, it's amazing how profound that is in the internet age. Where our boldness to criticize people is all over the place. We love to do it online. But the actual talking to someone face and face, we would never say to them what we say online. Or what we say to other people about them. So going directly and privately to that person, and then third, lead with positive questions. You say John Alexander, be the head of intervarsity. He received lots of criticism, and he said this was good that these kind of people approached me in this way, especially when rumor mills go around about someone in a head of a large organization. This is how one person approached him sometime, one time. I heard someone say I heard something said, but it doesn't quite sound like you that you said this thing. Did you really say this? If so, please help me understand why. So the first thing isn't going to attack. The first thing is to go and to start clarifying and understanding what really the situation is. Fourth, be honest and specific. Are you just going to the person to vent or is there an actual issue that needs to be addressed? Give concrete examples. Give objective things that you can go and say, this is what I see. And then if the person is open to receiving it, Suggest alternatives to their behavior. Here's a solution. Here's some help. Here's where you could go. Here's what I could do to help. Don't just leave them in that place. Delicate, delicate work. But again, work as together followers that need the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, it's very interesting, but it's good. And I do think it fits with this passage. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So wisdom is not just in how we approach our brothers and sisters, but wisdom is also when we stop approaching certain people about things. Here, Jesus gives us an example of two unclean animals in that culture. This was not the do- domesticated dogs of America, okay? These were unhealthy things sometimes, these dogs and pigs And dogs and pigs, they don't appreciate great gifts. Whether it is a sacrifice um, in the temple, you wouldn't give that kind of meat to a dog, and you wouldn't give a pearl to a pig to eat. It's interesting that later in Matthew, Jesus refers to the pearl as the message of the kingdom of God, as the gospel. You see, a pig doesn't appreciate that kind of message. In that passage in Matthew, he says there was a guy that did what? He sold everything. He gave everything up to buy this pearl. And here this pig, maybe it's crunching on a pearl and realizes this is not going down. I even don't want this, even though I eat everything just tramples on it with his foot. You know, I find that some people's response to the gospel is a lot like this. You talk about surrendering your life to Christ. You talk about the goodness of the gospel and its free gift. You talk about sin and how we need to repent in turn For many people, that is downright foreign and crazy. It's so interesting, I talk to others, and it is the greatest treasure ever. All things, all wealth, all that they have, everything pales in comparison to this great news. I think this is a warning for us that sometimes the pushback we receive and the vitriol we receive from sharing the gospel to other people is because we are throwing our pearls before swine. I'm not saying we should not be bold for the gospel and should not proclaim the gospel, but sometimes this response that we're getting is because We just need to trust that God can do the work on these people in a way that we cannot. And sometimes we need to be reminded there are times in our lives that we did not get the gospel, even though we might have heard it over and over and over again. But it doesn't mean that God was not in work in us We need to trust that God is working upon people. Some of us need to be encouraged to be bold about the gospel, but some of us need to be having more sensitive hearts to where people are at in receiving and hearing the gospel. Anthony Fiaco. Couldn't stand that dude in college. Could not stand that dude. Ironically, he was in my university group. He was the guitar player for the group. He was really suave. He got the girls. Man, I had judgment about him. And I let other people know. I didn't let him know. I just let other people know. And I let it just boil within me. I went through a tough time in college, and it really exposed in me a huge log in my eye. And I ended up just having to just cling to the grace of God. And through that experience, it encouraged me to approach Anthony in a way that I had not approached him before. We started wrestling through issues together. We became really, really good friends. He stood up in my wedding. He played a song at my wedding. Oh, how we miss out on fellowship and love with other people when we stand in criticism and judgment of them. Our pride Is the treasure of the gospel so good that you would even give up your judgment and critical spirit to other people? That you would give up your pride? It's funny, the things that are maybe the hardest to give up sometimes is not even money and not even selling all possessions. The greatest thing to give up is our ego. Our judgment over other people. Are you willing to give that for a pearl and a treasure that is so wonderful that you might have new relationships with others, that you might relate to people in a way that is transformed by grace rather than a critical spirit? That is my hope for myself. It's my hope for Emmaus Road. It's my hope for how we relate to those around us. Let's pray.